0: Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and eating breakfast for dinner. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership.
1: And I'm Kendall Miller. I'm a fan of all things stereotypically hipster.
0: (laughs) Today on the show, we're talking with Ian Coley, General Manager, APC at Amazon. Hi, Ian. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing pretty well. Thanks for being with us on the podcast today.
2: Excited to be here and to see uh, Kendall's hipsterness.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, those of you who are listening at home, you you don't get to see the video, but uh, yeah, Kendall's pretty hipster, you got to say.
1: I mean, I don't want to brag, but I rode a fixed gear bicycle to lunch today. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're
0: unstoppable.
1: I'm pretty, I have a manual that I'm trying to follow.
2: Was the front (laughs) wheel much larger than the back wheel?
0: Ooh. No,
1: no. That's the next step. When you when you go back to the old fashioned bike, then you're really
0: like the penny farthing. Uh, is that like yeah, a Bitcoin Dogecoin? Coin? Is what what is that?
1: Bitcoin <laughs> Dogecoin. Oh my gosh! Yes, that is what they're called from now on. All right, the Bitcoin Dogecoin bike. It's um, a thing. <laughs> well, so Ian, welcome to the podcast. Why don't we just dive right in? Tell us about your leadership, uh, management like past history how did you get to where you
2: are today your
0: story yeah
2: (laughs) wow uh let's say that it's not for the faint of heart and it was totally uh, totally unplanned and unchoreographed and uh you know not not sure how I wound up here all the time so I I started out uh coming straight out of college I went into the military so that was a It's a crucible experience of learning leadership in the United States Navy. And then I decided to get out and went directly into aerospace. So working for Hughes Aircraft, and uh, we were acquired by Raytheon, worked my way up there from being a software test engineer to being a developer. In the midst of all that, I decided to go to grad school and get a master's in computer science and telecommunication. And um, along with that, for some reason, people started uh, with my experience uh, with the customer and then uh, shiny sheepskin, people started to look to me for more answers. And so I turned into a team lead and then kind of went from there to be a junior manager, then uh, decided that. You know, forget this big aerospace company stuff. I was going to go join a startup. So I was employee seven at a small aerospace startup. And out of necessity, you kind of did a little bit of everything there. So I got continued leadership opportunities there. And um, then as that grew over, which is crazy, 10 years, um, moved up until I was uh, given a director title. Then um, decided to move into uh startup world again because it just got too big. Went to another smaller startup, um, continued to work on engineering leadership, and we got acquired by Intel, which uh, is a behemoth. Mm-hmm. So um, d- didn't uh, survive that uh, behemoth very long before I jumped to another startup and uh, then I was a director of engineering there, uh, lasted a couple of years and then we got acquired by Red Hat. And then I would, was there for the, um, about f- just shy of four years. And for some reason I decided that, uh, I wanted to go back to grad school again. So I went and got an MBA and, um, that's when, uh, Amazon started knocking and then, uh, just. About going on just a year ago, became the general manager for high performance computing at Amazon. So it's it's nothing, like I said, where I could really draw a line, but various sources and inspiration and um, both positive and negative examples of leadership that I've gained from people that I worked under and with along the way.
0: Well, there's so much there. I don't even know where to. Like, there's, I, I have several paths I want to go down. This is, I, I really know where to hard. start. I know where to start. All right. Go, go ahead, Kendall, because I'm overwhelmed with ideas right now. Well, first of all, how long were you in the Navy?
2: I was uh, on active duty for five years and then in the reserves for another 23. So do that math, and you'll see that I clearly joined when I was 13.
1: <laughs> yeah that's right
2: and then and
1: then you went from startup it got big and you left for startup it got big and you left for startup it got big and you left for startup and then you're like I mean, you know what screw it. it i'm gonna join the world's biggest company like like talk, well, I mean, no, talk, how,
2: uh, how it's, did you go it's work? the world's biggest startup i mean honestly that my wife was shocked when, it, when i even started talking to amazon but the more i got to know the people and the environment and the culture and just the amazing um dedication and, and like I said, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with and the drive and the, it, it really is. I mean, you, it can become almost a cliche, but it is the world's largest startup. There is still that hunger. There's still that, you know, we've all got to pull together. We've got to grow. We've got to continue to innovate. Um, it's continue to push ourselves to do things that maybe others think are crazier. And, and that's been kind of Amazon's story from day one is we will outperform and outgrow. Our competition and and doing the best things we can for to serve our customers and that will win because we'll we will be more focused on our customers than anyone else and we will out innovate any any of our um, competitors and that's what really really uh, intrigued me about the opportunity because it really has that same feel of a startup but which is crazy to think about a company that's uh, I don't know over six hundred thousand employees now.
1: Was a condition of your being on this podcast spending three minutes just praising the company at the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> or was that authentic, like from the bottom of your heart?
2: Oh, you know me. I, I, I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty sold out for wherever I work. I give them my You're heart.
0: Committed. Oh yeah. 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 Well, I want to go back and talk a bit about uh, about your experiences with leadership and man and management in the military because you said you had gotten some some examples of good and bad leadership along the way, but also did the military give you any training in this area? How, what did you learn there and what did you decide that was useful to bring along?
2: Yeah, um, we had tons of training, but the the classes themselves were not as useful as the gleanings that you just got from being immersed in the culture. And the, the biggest uh, thing was about creating a sense of mission and shared vision for the team and that was how you got everyone really motivated and creating that continual attachment to the longer-term goals of the team were Mm -hmm. the way that you got people to work uh and i mean in the military people in startups think they work crazy hours well i've been on (laughs) i've been on carriers where people were literally falling asleep at their desk and we you know lucky if they went and took a four hour, you know, power nap. And that was what they called sleep for the day. Okay. So um, that you really got that sense of dedication to mission and um, also realizing that we're going to push pretty hard for certain uh, aspects of time based upon the mission requirements. But at the same time, uh, we're not just going to work hard. We're going to play hard and allowing people that space to blow off a little steam and to really relieve a little bit of that pressure and to have healthy um, outlets for the stress that's built up into those moments. Yeah, yeah. Of tension.
0: It sounds super important to have that aspect of things available to folks who have access to, you know, incredible amounts of weaponry.
1: <laughs> well, and how like, gosh, talk about that. Just the, the motivating the people in this sounds super different to me, right? Like we're, we're, we're all in tech now and in tech, any one of our employees or colleagues can leave tomorrow and go get another job, right? And so there's this sense of, I will stay until the moment it's uncomfortable and I'm out. And I, I get the feeling that in the military, and you know, part of that is like, you sign up for four years, right? Like if, if you wanna leave tomorrow, you can't necessarily, even if you want to. Um, so shock. like, is it, yeah, I mean, because you you are, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, I do believe that people probably buy into the vision of it, right? And that's part of why they're there, but, is casting vision like really dramatically different out in uh civilian life what, what's what's the fancy word that people who are in the military use is it civilian life is that or muggle <laughs> you...
0: yeah is it different talking to us muggles than it is talking to your team well, military uh,
2: a little bit i mean part of that is that you you've been through that Crucible, that defining experience of whether it's a boot camp or an officer training or um, coming up through the academies of where you have that immediate shared experience and bonding with someone that you know that they're, they, they kind of get it. And so you've got that uh, level of sharing with them immediately. But as far as vision casting and uh, the mission, even though people are there, I mean, you can be there or you can be there and bought in you know what I mean? So there are people that you could be occupying a seat and maybe technically doing the job at a semi-competent level, or you can be extremely performant and operating at the highest levels of your capacity. And so that's what your job is as a leader in the military is is to ensure that even if somebody, you know, quote unquote, has to be there, because yeah, technically you could lock them up in the brig on a ship. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the stick that the carrot is that you want them to see the fruits of their labor and why they're being asked to do these demanding things and for them to get excited. I mean, that intrinsic motivation, that's, if you can create that, then people will go through walls for you.
0: Yeah. And even the scenario where, you know, you could just say, "Look, you're here. You might as well also kind of enjoy being here. Feel like you're achieving something being here." Uh, that seems like it would work maybe a little better in the military than it does out in the civilian world, but it's still a, a valuable tactic. Like, oh, you're here. You might as well get get something out of it uh, instead of just being there. Yeah, I, I, I like the I like that thought about it <laughs> to some degree. Uh, but you also said um, that you've had some good and bad examples of leadership along the way, and I'm not just talking about in the military. Um, can you tell me about some of those? Tell us about uh, some good and bad examples that you've you've taken to heart.
2: Sure. I, I think some of the, the leaders that have taught me the most were about those people that um, on a positive note were the ones who set the bar. I mean, they they literally would never ask you to do anything that they themselves had not done or were not willing to do and had not demonstrated that repeatedly. And so that's where the commitment and the buy-in came from. It wasn't any sense of, oh, sure, that's easy for you to say because you're going home to your family at a decent hour while I'm slaving away here or anything like that. It, it was really, no, we're, we're in this together. And that's why you know you really needed to, to set the bar as the leader of the team. And that could be anything as simple as uh, someone in a military formation, the leader, you know, literally leading the run from the front to somebody that, you know, again, is telling the people that works under them to, you need to go sleep. You need to go rest. You need to go work out. I'm going to stay here and work. So stuff gets done, but I want to make sure that you guys have that quality of life. Um, even if I have to sacrifice a little myself to demonstrate that. So a little bit of that self-sacrifice to ensure that the team performed better as a whole. Um, on, the, on the negative side, um, I, I've had some, and, and maybe this is just my own personal bias, is that I, I really hate micromanagers. And so when I, when I had people that would not empower me and would really wanna know the exact details every minute of what I was doing and really scrutinize and direct and guide, um, not always in a positive fashion, what I was doing that really caused me to bristle. I thought, you know, if you got this time to check up on me, why don't you do it? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe that's a little flip, but um you're hiring me, you you're you're you paid me um, to do this work. let let me do the work and hold me accountable. If I'm not doing the work more you know or if I'm doing it incorrectly, I'm open to correction, but please don't you know stand over my shoulder
0: and yeah, looking for failure, yeah, right. That's super. That's super exhausting. Yeah, and 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 shows a lack of faith in the decision that they made to hire you. Totally. Yeah, I, I get that.
1: So is that uh, is that how you parent? Is that and is that <laughs> how you, So I know I know that you have kids. Are you a micromanaging dad, or do you do you uh, you know children? I'm empowering you to be kids and just go. Uh, destroy
2: your bedrooms. Yeah. Let's just say I've got more work to do there as a parent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and at work, I mean, so talk a little bit about your current role, like, uh, you know, a, a general manager at Amazon in HPC. Um, you know, how, how much are you able to just hire people and, and empower them to do the work? Or is it, uh, you know you have to be at the helm driving certain strategies or you know just talk a little bit about what's what's the tension like in day-to-day work today at a scale this big
2: yeah it's it's really unique uh for me in, in that as a general manager i get both kind of the the engineering leadership from my past but then tied to the business role so i've got uh various services teams that report into me so that are writing code every day for new uh, improvements to our overall infrastructure on AWS, as well as new service offerings that we'll be offering in the future. Um, But then I've also got relationship uh, across the teams of that can be partner management where I've got a, work with um, developing relationships with new partners that we want on board or existing partners to ensure that we're bringing them in on deals that would be appropriate for their offerings. Um, I've got relationships with both business development and sales to where I've got to ensure that we've empowered the sales teams in the field with the information that they need to communicate the value of our products. And then getting that messaging through business development. And then I've got uh, partner marketing managers that I work with to communicate our things from the layout of our website to how we're going to do a booth layout at a show. So um, in addition to that, kind of orchestrating internally, I've got the uh, external facing role of meeting with customers. So going out to conferences and going to one-on-one meetings with high-level customers to ensure that we're able to explain what our value proposition is uh, for high performance computing on uh, AWS. What is uh,
0: what is a leadership issue that you're dealing with or thinking about right now? What, uh, is there some some problem that you're tussling with? Some different way you're hoping to approach something?
2: Well, I think um, one, one of the constant challenges, which is uh, <clears throat> positive, but uh, being at Amazon is scale. And mm-hmm. just the and pace. So the pace at which we move and continuing to hire people though we've always got new openings. We're always trying to hire more people and not just that, but maintain the integrity of the team culture. Uh, it, it sounds, um, maybe funny to say, but within some of my sub teams, we've got very unique cultures and, um, we want to maintain that even as we grow. And we want to ensure that the, the team continues to perform even as they go from say five to 10 to 15 to 20 to 50, or, you know, in beyond size of a team. And so that's really my focus is that as we scale, we allow them to grow as a team to maintain their character and then to provide leadership opportunities, even internally. So as we have engineers that move through their careers to ensure that they're given the right opportunities to perform both architecturally and uh, in a leadership capacity within the team.
0: So going back to that, um, you know, I can imagine that a place like Amazon, as you say, the scale is so huge that there's a sort of ecology of or an ecosystem of uh, cultures that exist next to each other. They're not all the same across the entire company. That would just be impossible. Right. It's like a whole country (laughs) needing to have different. Uh, different characteristics how do you uh, what, what sort of tactics do you use to help these individual teams so maybe by acquisition or uh, you know be, being built from the ground up to serve a new purpose within the larger org how do you how do you work with them to make sure that they develop and maintain the culture that they want to have
2: yeah um, part of that is honestly uh, I know it's old-fashioned but management by walking around which is uh, you know just meeting with people around the Coffee cooler and talking about their family and seeing how they're doing, and then part of it is you know you can't do that when you've got a geographically distributed team. I mean, I have team members that are in Italy from speaking of acquisitions, and we have team members in an office in Seattle, and we have to ensure that they operate as one cohesive team. So, as part of that, one of the the things that I implemented as soon as I came into the role was a, a virtual all hands. And that's one thing that uh, I implemented that was very successful in my previous startups. And I saw as a way to ensure that the team building all occurred at an even level and it didn't turn into a, okay, who's in the office versus who's not in the office. Mm -hmm. And so it was very important to me that uh, even as as we had that all hands, it wasn't just everybody in the office pile into a conference room, everybody remote dial in. So people got... Kind of scratching their heads why are we all dialing in from our desks and uh, i i mandated that and i said i'm sorry that's one thing i'm just not budging on is we we're all equally participating in this and so it's the same look and feel and experience whether i'm next to you in the in a pod in seattle or whether you're across the world in italy
0: it was like the brady bunch experience where all the images <laughs> are across your screen yeah. and calling yeah. in <laughs> awesome <laughs> all right uh well this is part of the the like long, larger um, interesting point of you having spent a lot of time in the military. Uh, that may have developed a very particular relationship with authority in you. What is your relationship with authority and how do you feel about having authority over the folks that work for you? Um, and how do you feel about folks having authority over you? Has that changed? Mm-hmm. Do you feel any particular way about it?
2: Um, maybe, maybe it's a very american base instinct but even that word authority like makes makes something deep inside of me rise up and go like yeah but you're
0: you in the military that seems like a I thing know, it it doesn't, no, it, out of it you does. <laughs> no uh,
2: not that someone's in charge anti-authoritarian or anything but uh, there there is something uh, I, I think in each one of us that kind of uh, if you're in a position of leadership sh- that if you're not weighing that um like if that doesn't weigh heavy on you that you have authority but that with that authority comes responsibility um that's something that you really have to consider because it 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 really is a weighty responsibility when you are entrusted with uh i mean even if it's just starting as as a team leader those people are looking up to you for answers and for guidance and for direction and um for me the way that um i've always taken that is um, I'm I'm a very relational leader, so for me, I've tried to invest in my people, uh, not just in in a transactional manner. Like, okay, this is the job you're getting paid to do, so you're doing a good job at that. Suck it up, um, do the yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's more no holistically, and and again, maybe this is a lot of common sense, but it's really delving into what what is this person about, who who, who is this individual um what what is what are her hopes and dreams and why is she in this position and role and what does she want to do next and how can i as her leader um help her in that pursuit and for me that has been where i feel the most uh, i'd say alive as a leader is when i'm really helping someone on my team grow and achieve the the things that the goals they've set for themselves that's when i i get really excited um and that's where Uh, I I have to say, I I kind of struggle with people that kind of set career uh, leadership goals for themselves, I'd say, um, because that is solely based on self. For me, my leadership goals have always been about team and how is my team performing? And are we reaching our communal goals? And if that's all taken care of, whatever happens to my career takes care of itself. And um, maybe I'm a little naive in that aspect, but that's always been my aspect of leadership is take care of the people that have been entrusted to you, and that will continue to benefit everyone.
0: Well, it seems like that has worked out pretty well for you career-wise <laughs> so far.
2: <laughs> well, I find I'm actually biased, you know, and this is another, uh, you know, part of as you get older and learn your your own blind spots is that we, we did have this one leadership training where we, we talked about various People have different various ways of looking at their career, and it's a kind of a spectrum from totally like mine of you know a dog chasing a squirrel and just winding up and tacking in different directions. If you want to look at it as some sort of ordered uh, direction, and then coming to a, p- a point. Um, and others are very methodical and are not just looking for the next position, but two positions away. And so uh, we as leaders need to be aware that not everyone thinks like us. And I and so my own bias is to question people that have that planning. And I, so I've realized recently that I shouldn't you know, look down upon that as much as it's totally unlike me, um, that there are v- values and judgments and people have those goals and they're just wired differently. And at the same time, I've gotta be aware when I'm interacting with someone that has that drive, how do I help them in that as opposed to saying, well, why don't you just be more like me and not sweat
0: it so much? Yeah, like the parts that make them a good leader um versus the parts that are just career driven Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah but how do you how do you scale that as as uh as teams get bigger and bigger i mean you can't do you delegate the caring like i'm there's a little bit of tension there right like you care for your reports and maybe you you know some of your skip levels or uh or many of them but you don't know their skip you know that and Uh, and like you just said, some people are driven by other things. So what happens when somebody who reports to you, their life dream is to be CEO someday and, uh, they're not driven by taking care of their people or do you just not hire those people? Or like, do you, do you teach them to care for their people so that that trickles down? Like how does that work, uh, at scale? Yeah, that's,
2: that's my, my main thing is modeling. Uh, and to try to impress upon my people that what, what, I care most about is how they take care of their people. And um, if if they take care of their people and their people are happy and are executing, then that demonstrates to me that they're committed to seeing us move forward and we as a team will succeed. If they're just looking for their own checking the box and moving on to the next thing at the sacrifice of the people on their team, then that costs us all. And so I'm not willing to, uh, I mean, I'll try to mentor that person and work them through that. But if I clearly get a sense that they're resistant to that, then um, you know we'd have to see if there's a better fit for them somewhere else or um, move on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're like kind of, you get to almost to the point where people are a bit sociopathic about it, right? They've been socialized to think that the important thing is moving up in the org. It's like very mad men in a way. Um, and, and that you're modeling the, this is what success looks like, right? You're, you know, you're their leader. You've obviously moved up in the org and you're modeling this, this caring and personal connection model of leadership. Um, hopefully that is, you know, that's something compelling to them. Something that logically makes sense to them as well. Like, well, oh, this is what's valued. Then this is what I should change to be. Like, I don't know if everyone can change to be that way. Some people are just jerks. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Part
2: part of that modeling too is, um, you know, one of the, one of the things we talk a lot about in AWS are mechanisms. So repeatable processes that we put in place. And so one of the important things for my organization are one-on-ones and really, really push to have them weekly with subordinates uh, if possible. And uh, at a minimum every other week. But uh, I think it's, it's so crucial for that. And, and also, I try to model and explain to my team what the purpose of a one-on-one is in my mind. And that is not for me to hear a laundry list of all the great things you've done since the last time we talked, because I assume you're doing a great job and other people will tell me you're doing a great job, or if you're not, I'll hear that too. And then we'll address that. But um, it's not a project status. It's a, for me, it's how are you as a human being doing today and how can I help you um, what's, what struggles are going on? Um, what are you doing well at that you want to emphasize that you really want to continue to make sure that you're able to continue to do this and, and what aspects are just, you know, really a struggle for you right now. And let's figure out a plan of how we can work on those.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and so we asked about your relationship to authority or with authority and, um, has it changed since you were a kid? Do you feel like the way you thought about authority when you were younger is different?
0: How did you evolve to this level of you know, this is how I lead?
2: Um, I was raised in a in a single mom household, so I had uh, a lot of autonomy. Uh, my My mom was working full time and and also putting herself through school. Um, so uh, a lot of it was me being the the older child. And so, um, basically taking on leadership from the get go because, you know, uh, my mom was, was working or going to school and I was the one there taking care of my sister and me. And so I just kind of took on that mantle of here's what I need to do. And, um, part of that I think is probably why I, I necessarily bristle against, uh, authority uh, and, uh, micromanagement is because from an early age, it was kind of. You, you're you smart, you're, 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 trust. I trust you. You'll figure it out. You're mm-hmm. not going to burn the house down. Go ahead and, you know, cook your sister and yourself something for dinner. Yeah.
0: You know? Okay. All right. And that, um, that approach, uh, has sort of done well by you in in, uh, in your various, uh, parts of your career. Have you, have you had a manager that didn't treat you that way and how did you deal with that?
2: As I said with the, the, the one, micromanager manager that came to mind um that became very clear very quickly that this was not going to be a relationship that that ended well unless we figured out a way to kind of part ways and agree that it wasn't working um mm-hmm. because just not having that autonomy um and given all the responsibility but none of the autonomy or the power to uh, Effect change um, was was really frustrating for me. So that's where I I think I tend to gravitate is to where it's maybe not a fully formed role or fully, uh, you know, that's why, as as Kendall noted, why I probably tend to gravitate towards startups is because there it's chaos. And, you know, (laughs) we trust you. You need to go do good things. We're all running with our hair on fire. So go do good things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, and and then, um, do you do you see particular uh, skills and abilities that separate a junior leader from a senior leader? Uh, is it this trust and letting go part? Is there more to it than that?
1: Is it the ability to work with you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think it's a it's a, a growing self confidence and. Um, and, and that doesn't have to be an age thing. That's more of a wisdom thing that can come over time. So if if you're still deep down in your heart, no matter how old you are, if you're insecure about yourself and how you're performing, you're going to tend to gravitate towards the micromanagement and really riding people. Um, if you're more secure in your abilities to lead and your abilities to motivate a team and to build that rapport, then you tend to give them more freedom because You've seen it succeed in the past, and you've grown from that. And that's where oh, yeah. I think the difference between a, a junior and a senior leader doesn't necessarily have to be age or even experience. But there's just some sort of a, a comfort that they they get from the rapport they build with the team.
0: I want to I want to sort of expand on this idea that you having self confidence in your own ability to do your job and lead and all the things that are on your plate leads to more self-confidence, or more confidence in your team, because you you know you can do your shit. Why would you, you know, why would they not know how to do their job? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Like it's a, That's just a little a, bit. A um, I mean, at, the,
2: at some point, though, uh, I think each of us reaches a level of um, panic, like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and if we don't, we're probably not challenging ourselves enough. Um, but at the same point, it's it's that inherent self-confidence that okay, this feels crazy right now, but in the midst of this craziness, I know deep down in my core that I'm gonna get through this and I'm gonna succeed and we're gonna succeed as a team. And if I don't, I'm at least gonna learn from it. And- um, (laughs) Well, I think- think, Go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I was just gonna say, I I think that's the key is being willing to take on responsibility and have that confidence that um, you can perform. And if you don't, it's a learning experience.
1: Mm-hmm. I think part of it is to, I mean, uh, a lot of what I tell myself in moments where I feel completely overwhelmed is I have no idea what to do in this situation. And most other people probably don't either, right? Like it's, it's okay that I don't know. Like there, there are probably people who've been through this and someday, you know, I'll be, have been through this and I will know how to respond, but the vast majority of people are probably just as intimidated as I am. So I need to just act like I'm not.
2: <laughs> but, uh, well, that, no, that brings up a, a good point is that, um, projecting confidence as a leader, you know, I mean? You, you call it acting, but, um, just that, in those moments when maybe you're you're not fully internally confident about this is the right decision but by god you're going to lose the team if if you go out and just say well guys uh, i think this is what no we idea. should do
0: <laughs>
2: oh the sky is falling what do we do um so yeah a little bit of that is you know okay um i've made a decision that we as a team have decided to go in this direction. So I need to fully embrace that and believe it until I'm proven wrong. And if I'm proven wrong, then be willing to be self-critical enough to go, wow, really got that wrong. And and also be open with the team. Hey, guys, um, I thought this was the direction. This is where we're going to go. Um, we thought this was something that customers would like. Clearly, they don't. Um, we need to pivot. And so now's the time to acknowledge that and move on and put that behind us.
1: Yeah, that's... <laughs> there's there's so so much of uh I mean I think like the tension is in any leadership position you have to walk out and cast the vision as though you have 100% of the information you actually have 10% of the information or you know if you're lucky 50% of the information and you're like well we got to draw a conclusion and go some direction so we're picking this one and uh and then you, yeah if you walk out and you're like hey everyone this is the direction we're going I'm going that way because we have 10% of the information. Yeah, nobody's <laughs> going to follow, right? Like, so you have to kind of act like you've...
0: Well, yeah. Being, being a leader, it, it, so we've talked about this in previous podcasts as well, where it's also important not to act like you always know what the hell you're doing when you don't. So yeah. where is the line there, cool. um, right? I, when you're leading a much larger organization, maybe you do need to be a bit more, here's, you know, we have a plan and the plan is this and this is what we're doing and like not really... Uh, invite a ton of of uh, questions about well, how did you decide? Um, but when you're closer to a smaller team, maybe it's 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 a better approach to be like, well, we have to make a decision here. Here's what we know, you know, and and be more straightforward about how this was done. Obviously, this situation is going to be different in every single case, but part of being a, in my opinion, being a lead, a senior leader is knowing when the difference is when you have to stand up and be like we are 100 percent confident in the outcome here uh, and then when to be like well we're feeling our way along and you're along with me for this ride like it's 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 yeah. a it's a touchy thing
2: well and part of that is modeling that that transparency too to that next layer down of leadership so fine if, if for whatever the scenario is you need to stand up in front of everybody and really you know, be convincing about why you're going to go in a specific direction, but then be very open with that next layer down of leadership that you're mentoring and saying, that was really hard for me and mm-hmm. we, and, and here's why and here's how that decision process came about and here's how I'm thinking about it. Are there other ways that you, that each of you think maybe we should have handled this or could handle it in the future?
0: Oh, that's yeah. super cool, yeah, yeah.
1: So humility is important, who knew? Oh. So- <laughs>
0: Certainly that's not. One
1: my,
2: <laughs> uh, that's one of my pet peeves too. Uh, and again, again, we all reflect our own wounding and and past leadership issues. But um, <laughs> egos drive me crazy. Um, people that are climbing the ladder drive me crazy. People that step on top of other people to get to where they're going drive me crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So th- those are those are all areas that kind of push my buttons. And for me, it, it's all about. And again, maybe this does come back to the military in my early family life but just taking care of taking care of the people around you and if you do that good things will happen
0: and and how has being a leader or becoming a leader over all this time affected your personal life do you think that it's been good for your relationships outside of work or the things that you do or is it bad
2: oh it's definitely not bad i mean what what is interesting for me is to find the different roles that I find myself into is that um, there are many settings where I just naturally gravitate towards leadership uh, because I'm in leadership and work and that's an area that I've grown throughout my life but there are other areas where it's kind of freeing and interesting to sit back and say no I'm going to let myself um, you know kind of sit this one out and this is going to be a time where let someone else lead and that that's fine. And that's appropriate. And, and honestly, it's freeing at times to not always take that on as everyone looking at you as the quote unquote, natural leader.
0: Oh, that can be super frustrating. Actually, it's like, no, I don't want to be in charge this time. Leave me out of this. Just make a decision. I'll, you know, go along with it. And and, and on this on this sort of level, what are your hobbies outside of work? What do you What do you do in your copious well, free time? <laughs> uh,
2: uh, if I'm not on an airplane between uh, Denver and Seattle, I'm uh, or somewhere internationally, I'm probably running somewhere. I'm not quite as uh, crazy a mountain goat as Kendall, but I, I like to get up in the hills <laughs> uh, of, of the foothills of around Denver. And, uh, also wherever I'm traveling, I always pack a pair of running shoes and that's my way of adjusting to the, the different time zones is just get out. And it's such a neat way to see various areas of the world too, when you're in a new city and someplace to just go out and run three or four miles and get a real feel for the the place. Mm -hmm. Satisfy your wanderlust. Uh, Yep. And, and I've got, um, I've got kids three in middle school. So, um, that's, that's a, Full time job in and of itself.
1: <laughs> I believe it. And if uh, money were no object, what would you do with your life?
2: If money were no object, I would probably travel. My wife and I what love you, to travel. You, tra- you
1: get paid right now to travel. What
0: do you mean? <laughs> yeah.
2: You- <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> it's not like I can same. go wherever I want. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Okay. Where I would mean, you like to go.
2: Yeah, places in particular. Um, It's, it's pretty sad to say uh, because I I have two different teams in in Italy, but I've never been to Rome. Uh, and, uh, I'd love to see Cinque Terre. Um, I'd love to see sub-Saharan Africa. Um, I'd love to spend time in say outer Mongolia, someplace Mm -hmm. totally off the map. Um, I'd love to see the Taj Mahal. Uh, I, again, I've I've been to the Bangalore and Pune for various uh, teams that I had there, but uh, never got much out to actually see. Uh, it
0: sounds like you need to extend some of your business trips a bit. There you go. And Fill fill in your bucket list. <laughs> yeah,
1: the, the problem with going to these places all the time is you always can go. And so you just end up never going, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to be in India again next month. But, you know, I want to do it. This time
0: I'm going to stay for three weeks. <laughs> you should totally do that.
1: Well, so where can people find you on the internet?
2: I'm at I-R-C-O-L-L-E pretty consistently throughout social media. So on Twitter uh and uh LinkedIn just search me I A N C O L L E. Okay. Cool. Well
0: thank Thanks. you very much for spending time with us today. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Thank you both appreciate appreciated. Have a good one.